Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes, despite great effort and hard work, our justice system lets a dangerous man slip through the cracks. On December 21st, 1952, a monster was born who took the lives of 20 or more men and boys. And, despite investigators' best effort to keep this man off the streets, he was able to slip through and take the life of a child before his final arrest. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Larry William Eiler was born on December 21, 1952, to an abusive alcoholic father who left when he was two, and a mother who had to work multiple jobs to provide for her family, which left her children in the care of others. His mother remarried three times to men who were drunks and beat the children. By the age of 10, Larry Eiler's behavior led his mother to send him to live in a home for unruly boys. The experience left him devastated. Within weeks and tearful begging, his mother let him come home. After psychological testing revealed that he suffered from severe insecurity and fear of abandonment, he was sent away to a Catholic school in Fort Wayne. He stayed for six months before returning to his mother. By the time he reached puberty, he came out to his family as homosexual, though he struggled with self-hatred and resentment towards his sexual preference. As a young adult, he began frequenting gay bars, began having more casual relationships with men, and by the mid-1970s, he was well-known in the community, particularly those with a leather fetish. In the bedroom, he was described as sadistic, violent, and would often bludgeon or inflict knife wounds on his unwilling partners. On August 3, 1978, 
Larry picked up a 19-year-old hitchhiker named Craig Long. After the boy rejected his advances, Larry pressed a knife to the boy's chest, drove to a rural field, forced him to undress before handcuffing and binding his wrist and ankles. While Larry undressed, Craig attempted to flee but was stabbed in the chest. He lay pretending to be dead. After Larry abandoned him, he stumbled to a nearby home. Larry Eiler was arrested and charged with aggravated battery, pled guilty, and friends raised the $10,000 to pay his bond. Longtime friend Robert Little offered Craig $2,500 to not press charges, and Larry was acquitted on November 13th. Not even a year later, he lured 21-year-old Craig Townsend into his car where the boy was drugged, beaten, and left in a field naked and comatose. He was able to survive the ordeal, and Larry suffered no consequences. After two near misses, something inside him escalated because between 1982 and 1984, Larry Eiler committed a minimum of 21 murders, the first of which was just 11 days after Craig Townsend's attack. All of these attacks involved the restraint of his victims, and they suffered from varying degrees of sadomasochism and then were stabbed to death in the chest and abdomen. Several victims were disemboweled post-mortem and were discarded close to major interstates and highways with their underwear around their knees and ankles. The gay community speculated that there was a serial killer in their midst, but police were apprehensive. They routinely raided gay bars and bookstores to try and identify the movements of the suspects. The newspaper, The Works, took matters into their own hands and created an anonymous hotline, published an article that speculated the attacker was struggling with his own sexuality, and raised a $1,500 reward. Indiana State Police called a meeting attended by all of the jurisdictions where bodies had been found in order to compare information and determine if all were murdered by the same perpetrator. By the end of this meeting, it was agreed that this was a serial killer operating alone and in multiple areas. All of this information was entered into a computer database and linked to the statewide system and a task force was created. Shortly after, police in Lexington, Kentucky contacted the task force with speculation that they had a crime that matched their perpetrator. Days later, Chicago made a similar call and Larry Eiler was dubbed the highway murderer. On June 6, 1983, Eiler's former partner, Thomas Henderson, made a call to the confidential hotline with suspicions that his one-time lover was the murderer they were looking for. He told them about the stabbing that took place in 1978, his violent temper, and penchant for bondage. He even told a news story, that Larry had drugged a 14-year-old boy in 1981 and abandoned him in the woods. He had not been molested, and investigators theorized that this was simply an experiment to determine the effectiveness of the sedative. A look into his background and his travel logs for work led police to keep an informal track on Eiler's whereabouts, but not place him under surveillance. More victims from surrounding states were found and, eventually, all connected, and on September 30, 1983, Larry Eiler was finally arrested but not for murder. He was arrested for a routine traffic violation and, with him, was a young hitchhiker. The men were detained and questioned, and Eiler was initially charged with soliciting the boy. While in custody without his consent, his truck was searched. Inside, they found lengths of rope and impounded the car. 
He, when formally questioned, denied any involvement in the murders and consented to a forensic examination of his truck, gave his fingerprints, and agreed to a polygraph. A more extensive search of the truck yielded a knife, rope, handcuffs, a hammer, two baseball bats, a mallet, and surgical tape. His shoe prints were matched to a plaster cast taken from one of the crime scenes, and blood was discovered on the handle of the knife. After a number of other interviews, Larry lawyered up and his lawyer immediately filed a civil lawsuit against the sheriffs and police officers for harassment and violation of the 14th Amendment. This was just the start of a legal nightmare that brought with it a lengthy trial, one of which I urge you to look into with more detail, and Larry Eiler walking away a free man in February of 1984 after his friend Robert Little paid his bond yet again. He then relocated to Chicago on Robert's dime. You would think that, after scraping by by the skin of his teeth, Larry Eiler would just lay low. No such luck, because on August 19th, he lured 16-year-old Daniel Bridges into his apartment, bound him to a chair before beating, torturing, and stabbing him to death. He dismembered the boy and placed his remains in six plastic bags and put them in the apartment's garbage dumpster. It was discovered the 21st by the janitor of the apartment, and the police were called. Police immediately recognized Larry Eiler's name, and he was arrested. Forensics found more than enough evidence to convict this time, and he was charged with aggravated kidnapping, unlawful restraint, and concealment of a body, all of which are felonies. Larry Eiler was brought to trial on July 1, 1986, and after just three hours of deliberation, was found guilty and sentenced to death by lethal injection. In 1990, an attorney named Kathleen Zellner was appointed for his appeal, and thanks to her and another impending charge, Larry agreed to confess to his guilt and testify against his alleged accomplice. Who was that accomplice? Robert Little, the man who spent his life bailing Larry out of trouble. He claimed that Robert was a knowing and willing participant in his crimes, and he was formally charged at the age of 53. He was eventually found not guilty. In accordance to the deal that he and his new attorney brokered, Larry Eiler confessed to 20 murders in exchange for life imprisonment. Larry Eiler died on March 6, 1994, and days before his death, released the names and locations of 17 victims. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on December 22nd. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy-to-listen-to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.